Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome into the College Chaos Podcast with me, Jack McKenzie, and my co-host, Garrett Ross. We had a couple technical issues at the start of the show today, so we're just going to dive right in from right here. State trying to figure out their future and uh, what's going on there, Jack. But another thing that my vacation allowed me to do is just kind of sit back and embrace the greatness that is the College World Series. You're going you're gonna to sit here bragging because Absolutely. I had to work. And produce and do your job. For you know, man, I appreciate you. you know, that's good looking out and whatnot. I appreciate yeah, no, you holding no, no, it down I'm, for I'm me. glad you enjoyed it, man. But the yeah, College World Series has been really fun. It, it really has. You know, and of course, you know, me being an LSU fan has been fully dialed in and watching the Tigers do their thing. But I've also been keeping an eye on the Frogs, man, because TCU right now is arguably on one of the best runs in program history. Um, and to kind of get into that, what's happening right now, and kind of set the table and look ahead to the upcoming football season as they're coming off of that college, uh, that national championship berth, they were able to get the dub over Michigan. Um, I wanted to link up with my man, Steven Simcox. He is the host of the Locked On Horn Frogs podcast. Me and him go back to working at the radio station. Uh, Simi has helped me out tremendously in my career uh, from a production standpoint. Uh, he was the host. I was his co-host. We had a show there off the bench. We had a lot of fun. But uh, Simi, good to have you. How you doing, bro? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, let's have some fun. I know with all that Baylor gear behind Jack, he's super excited to hear about <laughs> all the good fortune from the TC Horn Frogs the past calendar year. Oh, so we yeah. can break it down for him. Definitely, definitely. We keep it off camera for our setup, though. I've got, I've got that, uh, I've got a scarf back here. But everything okay. the Simcox sees. The rest of the people don't see. <laughs> Simi, let's let's start right there. Let's start with baseball right now and kind of where they're at as a program. And how do you see, like, you, obviously your whole life you've watched TCU, kept up with them. But, man, what has this season been like from a fan perspective? And, like, what has it been to uh, to cover them as the host of Locked on Frogs? What, just what, as general, what are you thinking? I mean, it's been better than the last couple of years. You know, I, I kind of waded through the end of the Gary Patterson era, which was tough. Uh, he was sort of, I mean, he was an institution. He was TCU football in a lot of ways. And as far as baseball goes, it, it's been sort of a strange year. Like they lost a game to Texas about a month ago. And at that point they were 23 and 20. And I think a lot of people were starting to tune out. They're like, okay, team's probably not going to do a whole lot. Maybe they'll sneak in the tournament, but let's turn our attention to football. And then they just caught fire and they've been 21 and three since uh, uphill battle getting Florida. I have to beat them twice to make it to the national championship series. But bottom line is they're one of four teams left. They got a lot of young freshmen who are playing really well. And so, um, it's been fun. And yeah, I mean, from football to basketball to baseball, there's been a lot of positive things to talk about. Um, and it's it's taking a while. You know, the, the transition to the Big 12 was tough. There have been some bright moments, but this really feels like the first year where it's all culminated and come together uh, at the right time across the different athletic programs. And so it's fun. I mean, as you guys know, this, these things tend to go in cycles. And so we'll see how everybody follows it up. But 
Uh, yeah, you really can't. I mean, aside from winning a national championship in a major sport, which they haven't done, they still technically have a chance to do that in baseball. You can't really ask for anything else than what they've been able to do across uh, the athletic programs this season. Yeah, I think uh, I think most athletic programs in the nation mm-hmm. will honestly be pretty jealous of the the year TCU's had. Uh, you mentioned cycles, and that's got me thinking recruiting. Recruiting-wise, how especially has Sonny Dykes done, whether it's the transfer portal or out of high school, to kind of keep the momentum up and really capitalize on such a great year? Well, I think in the portal they've done really well. Um, and this is something Sonny did at SMU, which is he kind of has this mentality of, okay, especially Dallas-Fort Worth kids – if you go to a power five program or you're at a blue blood program and either you're not playing enough or it doesn't work out for whatever reason, come on home. We'll get you on the roster. We'll get you some playing time. And so they went and got Jojo Earl, the receiver out of Alabama. They also landed Tommy Brockermeyer, the offensive lineman from Bama. I'm not sure Tommy's going to play a whole lot this year. I think he's more of a project, but um, he at one time was the number two rated player in the nation uh, coming out of high school. And um, there were some other big names, John Paul Richardson from Oklahoma State, uh, Trey Sanders, Alabama running back. And so they've capitalized uh, with some immediate impact guys. I think the high school recruiting is still taking some time to catch up. They did land some four-star prospects this past weekend. They're doing really well at those skill positions. And I think the next step for TCU, if they're going to establish this, and it's the thing everybody's searching for, is can they find a way, whether it's through NIL or just the success, being able to bring these guys in to get like those big four and five star offense and defensive linemen? Because I feel like what, you know, the Georgia game showed them more than anything was from a physicality standpoint, um, they're still they're still behind. And I think the Big 12 as a whole, you know, that, that's just something everybody's really looking to cash in on. But um, they, they've definitely riding the momentum. I think. Uh, playing so long into the season sort of uh, messed up the schedule a little bit. And so they're a little slow on this 2024 class as far as the number of commits, but they're still doing a good job evaluating guys early, getting some high upside prospects. And then hopefully, you know, as we come down the stretch here, landing some of the bigger names as well. I don't think anybody really predicted what was going to happen with Dykes in this first year. I mean, you don't really see that at all. A guy come in and do had the success he had. And then when you kind of look at kind of going back to the, how we started this, just the success as a whole across the athletic department, is there any concerns that, um, you know, we see USC, right? Like they had the AD open up. Iowa had the same thing. Is there any concerns up there in Fort Worth that maybe Jeremiah Donati might be getting some calls and uh, Chunk Deuce in Fort Worth? <laughs> Well, there were some, you know, his name has come up a little bit in the USC search because he has California ties. Obviously, there's concerns. You know, Chris Del Conte did a really nice job at CCU, and then he parlayed that into taking the the job at Texas. And Jeremiah was promoted, and he's done a, a fantastic job so far. Um, it, it's it's the same problem a lot of schools at TCU's level have is, you know, are you going to be able to pay the guy? Are you going to be able to keep him around? I, I don't have a great feel for what his aspirations are. Like, I don't know exactly where home is for him or what job um, he would answer the phone and immediately be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's where I want to be. I think he's happy happy right now um, in Fort Worth and there's a lot of success to be had here, but yeah, there's, you know, there's um, always greener pastures and places you can go. And I think from a, a TC perspective, one thing that they have been kind of quiet about, I, I can't really say they're not successful at it because I just don't know a lot about it, but in the NIL space, uh, I honestly just don't know like a lot about how much, 
you know, resources they have, how much they're offering players, who's getting paid what. Uh, and so if you fall behind in that space, then it's it's always tough to make up that ground. And we see the type of money that SEC schools are spending, obviously, you know, across the country. And yeah, I think there's always the possibility that he could move on. I just don't have a great sense of uh, where that would be or what his short list would be for the schools that he would say, oh yeah, I definitely want to interview here, um, take that opportunity. And so I think TCU's in a good place to at least have a have a conversation with them if that time came. Um, I'm just not sure what his uh, short list is as far as the schools that he would just be like, hey, you, you know, you can't match this. It, maybe it's not just all about money either. It's just the opportunity. Um, I think he's in a pretty good spot though right now uh, coming into his own there at TCU. Yeah, um, kind of switching gears a little. Back to the football team and looking towards this next season, where do you see them, like broad strokes, before we get into some of the more nitty-gritty, uh, just where do you see them finishing in the Big 12? What's their ceiling, floor, possibly national rank, top 25? Mm -hmm. What are we thinking? Yeah, it's so weird this year because the schedule is, is different for everybody. I, I think it's pretty manageable to start. You know, they get – they get Coach Prime to open the year, which will be fascinating oh, yeah. to watch. Very. Uh, very fascinating. I have, like, nobody has stands like Coach Prime. I've had people in my mentions, in my YouTube comments for weeks, because I, I dared to say that I thought TCU was going to run away from them in that first game. And people are like, no, Dion's just like, Dion's here. He's coming. He's going to get this thing turned around immediately. You're kidding me, right? Like, <laughs> no, I mean, they're going to throw them. <laughs> Well, I would think so, too. And I, I don't know if it's just Colorado fans, Jack. I don't know if it's like just people that follow the Church of Dion, but I mean, he has <laughs> like he has he has people that are very confident in what he can do. Uh, but anyway, you know, they open with Colorado and then they get FCS opponent and SMU. I, I think they have a good chance to be six and six and one or like seven and oh. Now, then things turn. Then you get Kansas State, Texas. Um, Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas Tech to close the season. And so that's really where things are going to get interesting. Um, I feel like what that does allow them to do, though, with so much turnover is in an ideal world, they'll be playing good football and have a pretty good sense of who they are. But, I mean, I think if everybody stays healthy, I feel like on paper, as weird as it sounds, this might be a more talented team um, than it was last year, just from like an athleticism standpoint. Chandler Morris is stepping in there at quarterback. Um, he did win the job last year, so that'll be a big change. Uh, and this defense is returning a lot of pieces, and they did improve as the year went on. I, I think the biggest question for me is, you know, QB and then offensive line. They lost three interior starters from last year. And one crazy stat from that team last season their five offensive linemen made 75 starts total. They did not have a starting offensive lineman miss a game last year, which wow. was. Uh, pretty wild, you know, at that position, not to have some sort of injury. And so that's going to be a, a, a big step up and a big turnover. I think ultimately um, they're a group that could win, you know, nine or 10 games. Uh, and that's if things break the right way. And you would hope that in that case, that last game of the season against Oklahoma means something for a possible Big 12 championship berth. Um, and I mean, I think your floor is you're talking about a bowl game and maybe just above that. Uh, I know like the a lot of the odds makers have them at seven and a half wins, which I understand with all the roster turnover they've had. But, man, I just feel like if they end up with seven wins, regardless of how it happens coming off of last season, that sounds like a big disappointment. Um, and so I, I think they're better than that. But I, I, I'm i not going to go as far as to say or as bold as to say that 
they're looking at a Big 12 championship this year. I think they can sustain a lot of what they did last season, though, well, um, and at least be in the mix and, you know, hopefully have important games at the end of the season that that'll mean something for the conference title race. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that you touch on that you think there could be a more talented team than last year, because uh, actually in the Athlon preview magazine that they did this year, like they do every year, they've got anonymous quotes from other Big 12 coaches, assistant coaches, and a, a, an anonymous a Big 12 assistant coach said the secret to their success last season was that they could match either the physicality or the athleticism of every team in the league. Now I take that athleticism as, as the talent level. And so yeah. do you think that the extra talent level could see them be able to do the same thing or make up for not necessarily being able to be maybe as gritty as last year's team. And so they really could contend. So the the really strange thing about that group last year, they were really old. You know, they had a lot of like seniors, fifth year seniors. And so there's there's kind of this narrative out there of like, well, Sonny just took the the pieces that Gary had, which I guess is true to a certain extent. But they sucked the last few years before that. Yep. Like, it wasn't it wasn't like he inherited a team that was you know, nine and three or even, so they went five and seven two years ago. And sometimes like you guys know, you watch college football. Sometimes you have a five and seven team that lost like three or four, one score games. And you look back at it and you're like, okay, if, you know, if, if they make that field goal against uh, Texas tech, and if they make a few plays against Texas, then they could have been an eight win team. And so it makes sense that they made the jump. But fellas, like they were getting obliterated by people last year. Like, you know, Kansas State took them to the woodshed. Oklahoma State destroyed them. Uh, and yeah, Gary got let go in the middle of the season. And so that, I think, affected the effort and the energy. But a lot of those games weren't close. And so for the new coaching staff, I think that was a talented team. But at the same time, they maximized what was there and they did it in a way that the previous staff didn't. And it was a, a really insane turnaround. And so I guess I, I'm just hopeful that with some of the transfers they brought in, like John Paul Richardson and Joe Jarrell in the receiving core, like Willis Patrick in the offensive line um, and in a returning defense that the coaching staff will again be able to kind of scramble and figure out, okay, what do these teams do well? Um, and, you know, in like at the quarterback position, it's funny, Max was such a leader and a good player, and he's a Heisman finalist. I don't want to take anything away from him. But, like, the rumors around the program were that even in the middle of the year, like, Chandler looked sharper in some ways. In practice, he looked like a more polished quarterback. But everybody just knew, like, when the lights were turned on on Saturday, Max was going to deliver, and you couldn't – I mean, you couldn't take him off the field because the team had rallied around him. And so – um, it's going to look different. I think it's going to be a different group, but I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of potential here. Now, banking on potential is always difficult because it could go the other way, right? But um, I just, for some reason, I feel like year two, you know, some more continuity, some new faces could lead to an overall better product. But that doesn't mean they're going to win eleven or twelve games because you guys, you guys saw it in Waco, like. You know, if they get on the field a second later, that game's over. I and mean, then they struck some good fortune last year in some of those wins. And so um, it's it's a thin line that you're fighting. But, yeah, I think uh, I think there's a lot of athleticism and physicality with this group, too. It's just not as polished as last year's team. 
let's talk about Chandler a little bit. I think it, Baylor fans are all too familiar with how good he can really be when uh, he's on. Yeah. Um, we mm-hmm. know his his pedigree, right? His dad's a tremendous coach. Is this a breakout season? Are we expecting a breakout season for Chandler? And how do you see him stacking up against the other Big 12 quarterbacks as we head into this upcoming season? It feels like he's been in college for like 300 years. And in some ways you think, oh, yeah, I know who Chandler Morse is. But the reality is we've only seen him play three or four games in his career. Uh, And, yeah, he did have the incredible game in Fort Worth against Baylor and then got hurt the next week against Oklahoma State. Um, Didn't look super sharp against Colorado in the season opener last year. But, you know, I think a lot of that was just kind of early season jitters. I think Chandler's going to be good. Uh, Kendall Bryles coming in as offensive coordinator. Is kind of a fascinating change. Uh, he's super accurate. He doesn't have the arm strength that Max does. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot more quick game this year. I feel like you're going to see them try to use the middle of the field more um, with their slot receivers and their tight ends. Uh, the other fascinating thing about it is, I mean, he's mobile and he can run, but this is not obviously like KJ Jefferson that you saw at Arkansas. This is not a big physical QB. And so I think uh, a lot of that quarterback run game that Kendall focused on the last few seasons will be taken out of the offense. But if they protect him and give him time, I think he's a dude that can make a lot of throws. Yes, I expect a breakout season. If, if for nothing else, this is supposed to be a quarterback-friendly offense and a team with a lot of weapons. Um, but, again, there's there's some uncertainty here because as long as it seems like he's been part of the college football landscape, he hasn't actually played a lot. And so we'll get to see him full force, hopefully, um, this season as long as he's able to stay healthy. Speaking of Kendall, like, how weird is it to see him donning the purple? And, and you know, it's like – and also, like, how much of a difference do you think there will be in the offense compared to last year? Because when I see him and Garrett Riley, like, they're almost doppelgangers to me. Like, they, they are, mm-hmm. everything they do is almost identical. Uh, but as a whole, you got Kaz Kazadi in the mix. Like, this is almost building to what Baylor could have been. Like, what are your thoughts as a whole on Kendall and that whole weird dynamic heading into the season? Yeah, it's a bizarro world for sure. I mean, if if you told me uh, five or six years ago that there would be a Bryles on staff and not Garrett Patterson at TCU, I would have – I don't know what I would have done, but I, I, I guess I would have laughed or <laughs> cried or something. It, it would have been a, a really weird reaction because, um, you know, Kendall obviously was kind of enemy number one. That was a heated rivalry at one time. And it's strange. I, I think it – it's brought some some unwanted attention to TCU from a PR standpoint. Uh, they're going to have to navigate this year. And, you know, Sonny Dykes gave the standard answer that everybody that's hired Kendall Bryles um, since the, the Baylor situation has, which is we did our due diligence. We uh, trust our, you know, the people that did um, vet him and, and those kind of things. But, yeah, Kaz Kazadi's on the staff. Carlton Buckles is on the staff, who was also part of that Baylor staff as well. And um, I, I think Sonny – it seems like he has ties to that coaching tree because I know when uh, he before he hired Garrett Riley last year, like he was really interested in Jeff Levy, and Jeff Levy ended up at Oklahoma. But Sonny um, is part of that air raid tree. You know, he he knows the Browse family really well. For differences coming from. Kendall and Garrett. I mean, I, you know, Garrett Riley, I think he was a good offense coordinator. He's kind of getting, um, I, I feel like an unfair rep from TCU fans on the way out because they don't like how that ended. It seemed like he might have had that Clemson job in the bag before the national title game. And it must maybe, be a family tradition. Seems kind of like yeah. his brother. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe didn't give the, the best preparation for the final game of the season. But anyway, I, I, you know, aside from some situational play calling in the red zone, 
I thought Garrett did a good job. Um, and I thought they were a pretty physical team last year, as, as Jack talked about earlier, but I think they're going to try to lean into that more with a big offensive line and a few running backs. And uh, Kendall's not afraid to run the football. But, you know, the terminology will be similar. Sonny Dyke said in a press conference in the offseason that they're going to get more uh, they're going to lean more into those air raid tendencies. And so I would assume, you know, simplified offense, uh, uh, less of a, a distinct route tree, maybe, you know, just kind of get up to the line, go fast, get it get it started. And um, I, I think Kendall's evolved a lot, though, since we saw him in Waco. Like, th- that was pure throwing the ball, going at a high, high speed. Um, and they ran the ball, too, with Shaq Linwood and those guys. But I think he's leaned into that more in his time in the SEC. But, uh, you know, from a football standpoint, they got the the offense coordinator from Arkansas. And I know there were some, like, circumstances there. Maybe Sam Pittman was tired of him looking around. But they went and stole, you know, the play caller from an SEC team, which is not something that I think TCU would be able to do in the past. And he's been – really successful his last few stops. So I would expect this offense to not skip much of a beat. I think, you know, they're, they have high expectations to score a lot of points and that's what he's, he's getting paid to do. Yeah. I've, I've actually watched the like 20 minute cut up of, of y'all spring game uh, a couple times now. And I keep coming away from it with this one question. I hope you could answer for us, honestly, which is, did the offense just have a great day? Is the defense further behind? Like, what what do you make of it when it seems like the offense had such an easy time with a defense that isn't isn't terrible? Yeah, I mean, some of it was uh, you know they had some guys that didn't really go through spring practice. Um, you know, Josh Newton at corner was one of those. But as far as question marks for the defense, I do feel like they're are legitimate questions and the biggest one is the defensive line which is not a place where you really want to have have questions but they're they're losing their sack leader and dylan horton um dominic wilkin williams their big nose tackles returning but aside from that you're, you're breaking in two new defensive ends joe gillespie's defense in the 335 it's not super predicated on those front three getting pressure all the time, but it certainly helps if you can do that. Uh, I think their linebackers and corners and safeties are in a good spot. You know, they got some returners there. They also added a transfer at corner in Avery Helm, who's been at Florida the last few years. Uh, and so they're athletic. I think their back seven will be really good. But, I mean, you can scheme a lot of things. You can't scheme around getting bullied up front. And so – uh, if if they can't find a way to, to mitigate that, then it could be a long season. And that, in my mind, is is one of the bigger question marks for this team is can they find uh, – have the ability to get pressure on the quarterback and not just get gashed in the run game because that's – I mean, that's the easiest way to lose a football game in a hurry. With all the roster turnover and just the changes in general, how beneficial is it to TCU knowing that, like, offensively you got a guy like Jared Wiley and what he can do, and then on the defensive side, Johnny Hodges. Like, what are you expecting from those two in this season? And are they kind of like the unsung leaders for both sides of the ball? I hope they use Jared Wiley more this season. I always felt like he was kind of an underutilized threat in the receiving game. But, yeah, I think he is uh, He's going to be a security blanket for Chandler. I, I talked earlier about how I feel like there's going to be more throws across the middle of the field. He's so big. Uh, they kind of had him as a red zone threat last year. That was the main way they used him, and I would expect that to continue. But he's solid, and he's physical too. He can block. He's a big part of their run game. I would expect him to have a, a big-time breakout season. I, I think he's one of the guys that has 
you know, the best chance to build up his NFL stocks this, this year, because he is so physical and that size uh, is going to draw a lot of attention. And then Johnny Hodges is a really cool story, you know, transfer from the Naval Academy last year uh, said he put a, you know, he put together a little cut up of his film and sent it to just about every division one program he could think of. And Northwestern and TCU were the only two uh, coaching staffs that had any interest and he ended up at TCU. And uh, I think that linebacker crew, they got a good combination of uh, him and Jamoy Hodge who are more like old school interior linebackers. Like I think they should be required to wear a neck roll. They're that type of, <laughs> yeah. that type of middle linebacker, uh, just, just big and physical and hitting the gaps hard. And uh, then they got some athletes like Shad Banks um, and Terrence Cooks is coming back from injury. You know, the one wild card is that linebacker position, and Garrett will know this name well, is Marcel Brooks has been, this will be his yeah. third season at TCU, and he's he's. I mean, I, I don't want to say this in a bad way, but he's kind of been like a mythical figure the last few years because everybody's <laughs> like, all right, this is the year, baby. Five-star, former five-star Marcel Brooks. He's going to have a, a huge impact on this team. And they had him on defense, and they moved into wide receiver, which was a very stupid thing that they did. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. And they put him back on defense last year, and he dealt with some injuries. But he's healthy now, and so – um, you know, at LSU, he was on that national title team and they would use him in the pass rush game sometimes and have him as like a stand up defensive end. He's he's real small. So it, it's kind of fascinating, like how he's going to fit in. But I think they have a plan for, you know, how they're going to use him. And he could be someone who you hear more of this year because um, he is a talent. And if they can find a way to harness it and keep him healthy, I think he could make an impact. Yeah, just to kind of round out this look at the defense, um, I've, I've heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, that y'all have some serious potential uh, at, at cornerback and safety back in the secondary, and uh, especially going up against guys like Savion Williams, J.P. Richardson, JoJo Earl every day in practice. Like, Do you think that that will be a strength of the defense this year? I definitely think it will. Yeah, I mentioned Josh Eaton earlier. He started every game last year. He'll be back. And um, then they brought in Avery Helm, a Florida transfer. They also brought in a couple of JUCO guys. It's really hard now to kind of get a sense of where JUCO guys are because the portal's such a big deal with with Power Five players. But Channing Canada was uh, the number one rated JUCO prospect at the corner position, and so they brought him in. I think he'll get some run there as well. Um, and then pretty much all their safeties are back. You know, Mark Perry, Bud Clark uh, played a lot of snaps last season. And so I, I feel like, yes, that secondary should be a big strength. Um, and, you know, quietly, like Trayvon Merrick won the Thorpe Award a few years ago. Trey Hodges Tomlinson did it last year. They've done a pretty good job, like Paul Gonzalez, their safeties coach, and um, Carlton Buckles, who works with the corners, of turning out really good talent there. So, uh, it, it again, a lot of it predicates on can you rush the passer and make things happen so those guys aren't having to cover forever. But as far as like dudes that can blanket players one on one, I think they have a lot of confidence and and those corners and safeties to do that. Last thing for you, Simi, who's going to play for the Big Twelve Championship this year? Oh, thank you for asking. Oh man, I can't believe they didn't. This is not going to be my prediction, but I can't believe they didn't put like Texas and OU in separate divisions so <laughs> they could avoid this nightmare scenario. Um, I, man, I, I was I was one of the few people who was like pumping the brakes on Texas last year and everybody said I was dumb and then it ended up being true. But I do feel like this is the year that Texas breaks through. And so I have them there and 
you know, for number two, it's take your pick, but I'll just roll with the team that won it last season. That's Kansas State. They got that offensive line coming back. Losing Deuce Vaughn's a huge deal, but I know they um, brought in a good transfer at running back whose name escapes me right now, and, and Will Howard's back there at QB. And so that's my prediction. I'd love to be wrong. Um because I, I don't really want to see that, but I think those are the two teams that are probably set up the best to to make a run this season. He is I, Steven Simcox. I like this guy. He's got my pick. I know. He's the, he's the GOAT. Okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Sammy, he's the host of the Locked On Horn Frogs podcast. Steven, tell them where they can find you on social media and where they can find and check out your podcast. Yeah, so my Twitter's at Simcox Steven. The show is at Locked on TCU. And then we're on YouTube. Uh, we're also available wherever you get your audio podcast. So it's, you know, Locked on Horn Frogs. Would love for people to subscribe if they're watching out there. And thanks for having me on the show, guys. This was fun. Yeah, Appreciate you, Simmy. All, All right. right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Coming up next, we are going to get into San Diego State. And did they misjudge their situation? Because they're now on the outside looking Possibly in. Possibly just a little. Maybe just a little. We're going to get into that next here on the College Chaos Podcast. Welcome back into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie here. Emory Winter holding it down over there. Man, uh, once again, shout out to Simi. Uh Good dude. Go check out his podcast. Like and really subscribe. knowledgeable on those horn frogs. Definitely is, man. But uh, let's. Uh, so I was obviously enjoying my vacation, but I was I didn't really like go full out um, stealth mode and just you know delete the world. Uh, so I was aware of what was happening. And um, San Diego State, dude. This is a really interesting story. So w- they sent out the letters to all of the members of the Mountain West, including the presidents, which are the um, the steps to exit your conference. And I thought this was kind of a um, ballsy move a little bit, to yeah, say the I, least. Yeah, I would say it's pretty ballsy to be like, hey, we intend to leave yeah. this conference. Can we get an extension on the cheaper fee and possibly work out like a payment plan? Um, no, yeah, that, hell no. What, what what do you expect the Mountain that, West to say? No, that, that's not how this works at all. And I really love the Mountain West, how they handled this. Like, hats off to them by just – because, you know, I feel bad. Like, we talk about – like, our, for instance, right, all eyes have been on the Pac-12 and everything going on there. But we kind of lose sight of these smaller conferences. And I think, um, you know, when we've had guys like Jeff Trailer on, it, it, the head coach at UTSA, he brings the awareness of the stuff that they deal with. Like, they're always getting the backlash. Most of their players are getting poached. So all of these smaller conferences are under the gun. So I really loved how they responded and took this as, no, this is your exit. And the, the curious thing with this is this has been – June 30th has been the one date in this whole San Diego State, SMU to some extent, Pac-12 saga that I felt comfortable, right? Like the San Diego State – I mean uh, – Pac-12, we've heard numerous dates that have come and gone, but we knew for sure San Diego State had to make the decision by the 30th. Um, Adela De, De La Torre, the, the president there, or was she athletic director, um, making this move was something that um, I really wasn't – like, to me, I understand the concept behind it, right? Like, you want to try to put – really, to me, when I look at this, is you were told by probably the Pac-12 you have an invite. But we see how they continually fail to put things together. And I feel like they were kind of in limbo. So they're sitting here waiting. But 
instead of sending this letter out, like, why wouldn't you just pick up the phone and call the head of the Mountain West one-on-one and be like, look, here's the situation. This is what we're dealing with. Like, I, I think you that would have been the proper way of handling this instead of what you've done because now you've just started up a hornet's nest to where you might not even have anywhere to go after next season. Yeah, it just – they've screwed themselves. Like, it makes no sense. None to me. Why, like, how, how do you send a letter that, according to Pete Thamel of ESPN, said that, like, we intend to leave? How do you expect the conference to take that? But you're out. How, That's exactly how, how, how I'll take exact, it. No, like, how do they come back and be like, whoa, no, 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 we, we weren't saying that we're leaving. It's like, no, you said you intend to leave. It's the same thing. Like, it's a letter of intent. Now, if I gave a, a letter to my boss that said, I intend to leave this job in two weeks. Now, would my boss take that as my two weeks notice or just me asking kind of like, what's the procedure around this? My boss would take it as a two weeks notice. Absolutely. And it's not like the Mountain West is the boss of San Diego State, but that's the, the, the kind of business relationship that is there as in like the Mountain West has control over the way it's interpreted. So like you can't leave room for interpretation. So San Diego state shot themselves in the foot. And now we've got a very interesting next like nine days because the, the, the exit fee for San Diego state jumps from 17 million, I believe to 34 million at the start of July on July one. And July one was already a deadline we were looking at with the PAC 12 for their media deal and whether or not that might, um, might cause a Colorado or an Arizona to jump and start this series of dominoes falling. So there is even more like, it's like you're loading a cannon with more gunpowder than right, usual. Yeah. And whatever that cannonball is going to hit is really just going to get freaking obliterated now. Yeah. I mean, look, and I think another thing too, from the, the mountain West perspective is like, all of the smoke's been out there, right? Like, you, you've you been prepared. You knew this was coming. And this isn't the first time San Diego State has done this. You know, they they had, back in 2013, were going to try to bolt for the Big East, which is really insane to think of a mountain, I mean, a, of a West Coast time zone and, like, all of the difference. We, we talk all the time, right? Like, yeah. the biggest talking point for USC and UCLA was, well, when they go in Rutgers, that time. Like, could you imagine playing a whole damn conference, like a two, the significant time zone gap that is? So, I, I think that... That right there, it just they have a track record. Um, I've been on record. I think that they are a better fit. I would rather see the Big 12 get them. I really think there is more potential uh, possibly with San Diego State than Colorado or Arizona. But say um, – I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I, so certain. Like you, you, were, you were having me come around on it. Oh, so now you've done change up on me. So Smokey and Craig had um, – I am blanking on his name right now, but from, I believe it was the San Diego Union Tribune, a, a sports writer, um, and he came on, and he, with more knowledge of the San Diego State current like athletic department right. and the way things are, he made me feel a little, a lot more shaky about San Diego State, honestly. Like, they... I think the goal for them is to become truly a flagship university of the state system in California. That means getting closer to the Cal or UCLA 
Level. Dude, I, I just I've never even considered them on the same level as that. That that's insane. that's their goal. And so when you see that as their goal, knowing the way that system is controlled, and then throw in apparently how terrible their NIL situation is, I like see, it, it, it's starting to look like a a bad bad picture. And on top of that, as much as I do think it's like fun for students to go to college football games and whatnot. I have concerns about just how much San Diego embraces its sports teams. Well, I think when they're winning, I don't think it's on. a sports town. That's that's the thing. You have to be winning. You yeah. take the next jump in competition level. You take, then it starts being like, oh, we're not winning right away. And well, then I think you lose I, I think there's a interest. lot of programs out there like that, though. I, I, Mark I don't Ziegler, think that's, sorry, Mark Ziegler. Mark thank Ziegler. you, Scotty. Yeah, I think there's a lot of programs out there, though. I mean, Baylor's one like that. Like Baylor's a prime example. If you're not winning, you're not going to show up. Uh, Miami. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of them out there. So, and as far as the NIL goes, I think that that's probably like they're that's probably on par to some of these other Big Twelve programs as well because there there's not a lot of them other than like Texas Tech. And I'm talking about like I'm not even considering Texas and Oklahoma. They're gone. But I mean, we yeah. just saw Oklahoma State right get the influx of money coming from T Boone Pickens. Um, Texas Tech is good God. I mean, they're on it with the NIL. So oh, I think yeah. there's a lot of similarities there now i do understand the perspective if you're the big 12 from saying uh we don't want another g5 team like we're trying to i understand that angle with it but as a whole when you look at their football team uh you've won 10 or more games five times since 2015 that's way more than colorado's done that's probably way more than arizona um your basketball team speak for itself i just think there's more i, I just feel like there's true potential there and Honestly, I also go back to, and I understand having a mountain time zone, what that does. But if you truly want to grab a hold of all of the time zones, getting a true West Coast time zone team makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I'd agree. Having a true West Coast team could be very nice. It could open up a lot of opportunities, frankly, similar to what it looks like your Mark's trying to do, getting into the New York market yeah. right now. Um, and he's doing a good job of doing that without a team there. Um but I am just sitting here looking at all these different transfer situations that programs are finding themselves in, not necessarily football or basketball, but beyond that. And I think that like seeing, uh, and I, I hate to bring everything back to Baylor, but seeing Baylor baseball lose Colby Branch. Right. As much as he might want to be going somewhere to win or whatnot, I think NIL is in play. Absolutely. And that makes me think, okay, so you're a lower level program that's struggling with NIL. You finally have a top-tier player, and they're gone after one year because you can't pay them. That sounds very similar to what San Diego State could encounter. And I don't think it gets any better if their competition level jumps up before they're ready to find that money, before they're ready to make those payments. Because all of a sudden, then, you've got your players proving they can play at that level, and you still don't have the money to pay them to keep them. Well, I think that's kind of similar to what you're going to see with Houston. Uh, I think that's eerily similar to what we're going to find oh, out. I think Houston. Houston has deeper pockets, much deeper pockets. Well, they, yeah, they might. I mean, Houston's going to have deeper pockets. UCS going to have deeper pockets. Well, BYU. I'm not own, worried about UCS. BYU's got its own cultural stuff. Cincinnati is probably the one I worry about the most, but they're the one that made the freaking playoff in football. Yeah, but I also think that that's a totally different. E each of those four programs, there's something I can point to, or kind of just did point to, where I'm like, I have less concern. 
That's why I have concern about San Diego State, that I don't have concern about any of the Pac-12 ideas people are throwing out there. Because Arizona, Colorado, Arizona State, Utah, they're all established Power 5 programs with clearly better levels of NIL, donor buy-in, uh, alumni buy-in. It's... It, you nearly got me there on San Diego State. <laughs> I, but Mark Ziegler drew hey, me back. Look, man, I, I just... I, I don't know. I may, and I'm probably totally wrong. And that's cool if I am and people can come at me. I don't give a damn. I, I just think it's very intriguing. But kind of going back to this whole story with De La Torre, and I, I find this very interesting and kind of cutthroat, but it, it makes a point. She was removed from her position. Not only was she removed, uh, but her money is going to go towards that exit. So that's kind of like um, – humbling uh check yourself in a way but do you what do you think ultimately at the end of the day do you see san diego state ending up in the pac-12 like i feel like they should have just kept their mouth shut kind of like smu oh, is done yeah but yeah. but also if they do go say they do go to the pac-12 where do they go in 2031 because it's probably going to dissolve by then <laughs> oh man here's the thing if the Pac-12 stays together, I haven't really thought through to 2031 yeah. on the if they stay together. That's honestly, frankly, how confident I've been in Colorado <laughs> leaving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but if the Pac-12 stays together to 2031, yeah, it still probably dissolves at that point if if it if the ACC isn't dissolving. The ACC dissolves first. That's the wild card. It is the wild card. Are off in my mind. Because all of a sudden, you're that fourth conference. Because, like, the Big 12 is struggling to break apart the Pac-12. Right. I don't think the SEC and the Big 10 are going to struggle to pull apart the ACC come 35. Yeah. Now, do they get that done by 31 and cause some, like, give the Pac-12 some hope? That's, that's the interesting thing there. San Diego State is up a river without a paddle if they don't get into the Pac-12 now, though. Oh, yeah. There's no place to jump to in 2031 if they don't start getting better money than what they'd be getting from the Mountain West. They like they should want to get into the Big 12 because that's the best money they could get right now. But I don't think the Big 12 should take them, which means they have to get the Pac-12. Yeah, they have to get the Pac-12. And that knowing that, because I really feel like that that's not like that's not speculation. No, I, no, I, no. I, I think they. I think that's pretty factual. I mean, it's either Pac-12 or bust at this point. Yeah. And so I can almost see why that's why they stuck their neck out on this. They're like, look, it's Pac-12 or bust. So we're going to make sure everyone knows it. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting way to approach it. And I think at the end of the day, if you're any of the administrators... It's definitely or, an outside-the-box way to yeah, approach it. Yeah, it's definitely it. <laughs> an outside-of-the-box way. You've, you're probably really pissed at George Klyavkov if you're everybody within the, the decision makers of San Diego State. But Hey, it's all going to unfold, right? We'll see what happens, but definitely an interesting tactic to take and one oh, that backfired and garnered attention. And another situation that kind of backfired and garnered attention oh, no, is don't, not right here in the segue. backyard of the Big 12. Oh. And it is up on those country roads that take you home, unless you're Bob Huggins. And we're going to get into that next Almost year in heaven, on the College Chaos Podcast. Driving.
Welcome back into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie, Emory Winder here with you. And we're going to put a bow on it as we head to West Virginia and Bob Huggins. And, man, this is a, this is one of those stories that really is... Um, Unfortunate. Yeah, just kind of just BS, too. Like, I, I, we put people on a pedestal, right? Like... You're supposed to be this this leader of people and lead by. And I know everybody makes mistakes. Look, I'm not. I, I'm. We've all been there. We've all done some stupid stuff. But I didn't like the idea that he um, got to resign. I feel like this is a situation where he should have been fired, in my opinion. And he honestly should have been fired for the first incident that led up to this. Uh, but he wasn't. And and I understand where Ren Baker, the AD, is coming from on that. Um, but I think when we were heading into this season, if you're talking about West Virginia coaches on the hot seat, it was a little more so Neil Brown, right? Okay, like, I'm glad you're bringing this. this back to a little, a little more but, uh, lighthearted yeah. of a stance because, dear Lord, I had a funny question to ask you, and you just took it straight to the, like, he should have been fired. Well, go ahead. Ask me your funny question. Who's a better driver, Bob Huggins or Jim Beheim? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Huggins – Huggins tried to run from the cops, so I give him that. I definitely give him that one. Emery, tell me that was um, a funny question, please. It's up there. It was. It was okay. It was, it was good. It was good. No, he, he look, dude, this is just a weird situation. It's um. No, back back to getting more serious. I, I don't necessarily agree with you on he should have been fired after the first one, and I definitely don't agree with you on the fired versus resigned because at that point, it's a money issue. Yeah. You know how much more they would have had to pay Huggins, a man who not only said what he said, but did what he did? You do not want to be in the position, if you can help it, to be paying that man money because you fired him. Even like it would, you no, have to go through the legal process of like showing it's for cause. Yeah. And it's just a lot simpler for everyone if he resigns in disgrace because he resigned in disgrace. Like, I don't. That, that's the thing. It's not, oh, he resigned, like, he did what was right. No, yeah. he had to. He was forced to. I don't think there's any, like, everyone knows it was fired or resigned in disgrace, and everyone knows it was in disgrace. But it's just, the whole thing is, it, it's really sad. I mean, I believe it's been reported that he didn't necessarily know what city he yeah, was in. how do you not know you're in he Pittsburgh? He had a bunch of, like, a bag of beer, like, empty beer cans in the backseat. Oh, no, wait, but he's a recycling man, according to his daughter. Even if he is. <laughs> the breathalyzer. He blew a, what, point two, two one? Yeah, just something stupid. 0.21 or something? Like, Here's my dude, thing. Like, like, dude, if there's you're, if there's you're, no way to, to, to gussy this up. No, but if you, okay, going back to the money thing, right? Like, so... If you have all this damn money, why can't you have somebody drive you around? Like, yeah. there's plenty of coaches. There, there are Craig, plenty of Craig people. was saying it the last couple of days on, on 365 Sports. He was like, you have this much money. Even if you think booze cruising is fun, have someone else drive exactly. you. It'll be more fun. Bro, like, I, I would have a limo and, like, like, a party limo, right? Like, you just roll around. and He can hang out the sunroof, shirtless, Dude, it's whatever West he wants Virginia, to do. Party Jeep. Party Jeep. We get him a party Jeep. Give him one of those couches I'm in the back way to make too it set on fun. fire. I, I don't know like, why I'm trying to laugh as much about No, this but here's I the am. thing. Like my first thought when this happened was the black eye for the conference. And, and what I mean is think about preseason, right? Like when 
Um, they were up in New York, and Brett Yormark had him and Scott Drew there, and they're supposed to be, like, representing the conference and a league. And then you have this crap unfold. It's just it's – to me, it's a that. bad he's, look. Like, it's he's terrible. He's Bear. He, yeah. like, he, he's, like, this, this grizzled old coach that you're always told has a heart of gold and, like, does, all, does this philanthropic work on top of being a good coach and the, the players truly care about him. And all of that can still be true. But he just undercut so much of it. Like, yes, that's all still there, but we see more of a complete picture of who he is now. And it's sad because of how much he could have been on a pedestal. Well, it's also like, this isn't the first time, right? This is almost identical to what happened when he was at Cincinnati. He had a DUI, he had a bunch of off-the-court issues, and it was just a it was a terrible situation that unfolded. And when I see people do this, like there's no way this is the first time, right? Like, you've been doing this. You just finally got caught. There were definitely rumors on Twitter, at the very least, of, like, this w- this might not have happened if it was in Morgantown. Oh, if he was pulled no. over in Morgantown, it would have been like, It'd been like come on, Bob. Come on, Bob. We're getting you home safe. Don't do this again. But, you know, I don't think this is the final word on Huggins and like who he is and what he is as a human being. I think it's a very damning chapter, but hopefully it can be a wake up call for him. I guess I don't think you're ever too old for a wake up call as long as you can hear it. Yeah, that's the thing. But it's like when you're still living like it's the sixties and you're posted up at the bar, like, no, and I grew up in a, you go back and you look at Bob Huggins, this whole thing is that small town. And, and look, I come from a small town of toxicity and where alcoholism and stuff is just second nature, right? Like you're just, you grow up in it and it's the cool thing. And it's, it, it's, it's really messed up. And you just, if you don't understand it, it, you see no wrong in it. And that's the crazy part. But at the same time, dude, like when you're on this, this, um, when you have this platform, you've got to be more aware of it. And it, I just feel like that's the the most damning part of it. Like, I I had a coach in high school who got fired because he kept getting drunk in his front yard and passing out. Jeez. Like, I mean, there's this is nothing new. It's just – I don't know, man. Like, I just have a real um, weird perspective on this because I've seen so much um, damage from people doing this to their lives and multiple people getting killed because of it. Um so I, it yeah. just doesn't sit and I'm well. Not, with I'm me. not trying to discount that. No, no, at I'm just all. saying like it. So that's where I come from with it. Like, and I look. I'm not going to sit here and say I've never done it. Hell yeah, I have. I, I was in my 20s, ignorant, stupid. Like it happens. But at some time, some point in time, you've got to put your perspectives in order. And hopefully, that's what he can do. Hopefully, he can bounce back and kind of uh, learn from this. But at the same time, dude, like if you can't, then you you seriously need some help and. I mean, it's just uh, it's a catch twenty two, man. It's it's really weird. But who do you think like right now? It he's out. Yeah. What do you do as far as a replacement? Like, do you? Because I saw some. There was an article out there. About, it's too late in the cycle. Like, do you go interim? Or re- not? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there was some. Uh, there was an article out there saying like there was a couple of guys on the staff that they would like. But if and realistically, my first thought was. Would you try to come get somebody off the Baylor staff? Because there's a good track record there of them being successful. I just, where do you think they go with that? I think that it's tough because I do feel like interims can be a trap. Yeah. Like, we're about to see if Rodney Terry can do this on his own. Yeah. And 
that's why I'd be hesitant to give, like, to not truly hire someone right now because you get an interim guy in, stuff maybe goes the right direction just because guys are able to, like, be galvanized by mm -hmm. people being against them and by the news and, like, having to really be that much tighter of a team because of it. Yeah. It could go the other way. Half the time it does, honestly. But I don't want to flip a coin with an interim and be like, it's, it, it's all circumstantial around you. It's not yeah. so much about how good of a coach you are, how good of a recruiter you are. And also, going through a whole recruiting cycle of like, we don't know who your coach next year is yeah. going to be, I think that would be really tough. Yeah, that's a tricky part. So, as much as I think it just, like, it makes sense. Right off the bat, it feels like it makes sense. Go interim. Like, you're not going to get the top-level guy you yeah. want to get. I think you might have to accept that, like, you need to take a chance and pull someone away from a team right now and just accept that you don't have the full pool do you also, available. Do you also think this is a situation where, like, you see the program take a step back, or do you see a rally crowd where it's like one of those win-one-for-the-gipper type things this year? Because I see a lot of people, like Marquise Noel, like he was out there talking about how much he was at camps with Huggy Bear and, you know, how about, and a lot of people feel that way. And I'm sure he's a yeah. great guy. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to shit on the guy, like for his personality, he made a terrible decision. He's got some problems. So, but like, do you, I could see them really using this as like a rally cry. What, do, what are your thoughts on that next year? I think it can be a rally cry, but by the second half of Big 12 play, we're going to know who <laughs> it's they are. Over. Like... <laughs> I, I know there's not going to be true halves this year like yeah. like usual because rip the round robin, Ugh, best thing ever. But I just, I think you can only be galvanized for so long. I think it runs out. I think that you saw it with Kansas State. They dealt with a big dip yeah. there in the middle of conference play. They were like, they're a great team, great coach, great talent. But like even the teams that know who they are, what they are, have mm -hmm. their guys can still have a dip. I think that if you are running on that much emotion, that much like them against us, we love Huggy Bear, like we're doing this for him, it's going to run out. It might come back around like it did for Kansas State, but it's going to run out quicker and it's going to be tougher to bring back. So I think I, I just don't – they could make the tournament. Yeah. They really could, especially out of the best league in the nation. It's like they don't have to win a lot of games, but I worry about – trying to sustain something like that over the course yeah. of a whole basketball season. It's going to be interesting, man. And I just, I think it would be so hilarious. Like with the whole thing that unfolded with the Xavier, if you brought in Sean Miller to be his replacement, I think that would be funny, but you know, we'll see. West Virginia is obviously in the best basketball conference. Uh, they have a lot of tradition there. So it's a, it's a job people will want to take, but you know, wish them the best of luck in their search. It's always fun to watch them on the court. But, yeah, man, it's uh, just one of those stories that just is mind-boggling, uh, to say the least. But, yeah, that, that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, I think that's a good bow on it, other than um, hopefully Huggy turns his, turns his life around we from shall this see. chapter. Not like his whole life is terrible. I'm sorry, I worded that terribly. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. You, people, I hope you know <laughs> what I mean. Anyway, it's, uh, it's a sad thing to see, but hopefully the best comes out of it. Yep. Anyway. But, yeah, so uh, that's going to do it for today. We appreciate you tuning in when you do, whether that's live or whether you go back and catch it on YouTube or Apple, Spotify. Yeah, all stick that around jazz. on this channel. Catch Josh Neighbors' uh, daily upload today. I'm not quite sure what he's going to talk about, but it's either going to be Big 12 or realignment related. I can damn near guarantee that. Uh, hopefully that will be out by 2 
possibly here in the next half hour. Uh, otherwise, stick around. We're going to have some more uh, Grayson Grunhafer videos here on this channel. Uh, if you guys have any recommendations for what we might name his show, because we've not named his show yet, yeah. and we, uh, we're going to look into doing that. So if you guys have any recommendations, tweet at us at College Chaos Pod, or just come into our live streams or comment on any of our videos. Uh, otherwise, today at 3, we've got uh, 365 Sports as every weekday over on the 365 Sports channel. And we'll be talking uh, today. We're actually going to be talking Cincy and BYU. We're going to have Greg Rubel, who covers the Bearcats. And we're also going to have um, some, I can't remember. I just went blank on the guy <laughs> from BYU. But check that out. John Machota as well. It's going to be a full loaded show, as always. And then if you're a Baylor fan or just somebody looking for some insight on realignment, sickle365.com, the umbrella that started this all. Yeah, consider subscribing. I believe it's about 14 bucks a month for the premium boards, which is where all of the best realignment info is and all of the best Baylor info. I think that goes without saying, but it really helps support the business, which they are the parent company. They are the umbrella that we are all under. They let us sit here and do this for yep. fun, just because they it. like us for some reason. So, yeah, uh, please consider supporting them and supporting us through them. Uh, otherwise, Garrett, anything we out? else? Oh, we're out. Emery, we we're out. out.